heart for you who fear my name. Hello. Righteousness <laughs> Welcome to the Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. I am Scott Powell, and he is Father Peter Messick. I just said I'm Scott Powell. Oh, I'm, I'm Scott Powell. You're Father Peter Messick. Hi, I'm. You can't fool me. Can't fool me. I know who I am. I know who I am. My mama knows who I am. My mama knows who I am. Dude, I can't do your voice. I want to do it. What do you mean, my voice? You, I want just my regular voice. Yeah, dude. Do, do I have a thing in my? I mean, am I imitatable? Yeah, you are imitatable. No, I'm not. Totally. I have the typical Middle America voice, dude. If I could imitate you, I would, dude. You know what? The terrible thing is, is that <laughs> your face right <laughs> now—that's the terrible thing. Come on. No, the the ter- the terrible thing is that um, I like to do foreign accents, but all of my foreign accents they end up Russian. They either end up Russian or Indian, really. They all come down to Borat. They all sound like Borat in the end. <laughs> Don't call me Borat, dude. That's not cool. I'm, I'm your friend. I know. So we uh, we started today's podcast. Yeah, tell us about our opening music, Father Peter. Um, that's the Welcome Wagon. Okay. And uh, they are a couple that uh, the the man is a pastor and she is his wife. So here's the thing. I, I have a, a skepticism, let's say, of okay. Christian music. Okay. Because it's not always done well. But this is actually really good music, and apparently it's done by Christians, and I don't understand. My mind is flipped out. What's happening? Well, dude, this is the thing. Is it? It's uh, produced by Sufjan Stevens, who's Who also a awesome. Christian. Who's like the Christian Who's not a Christian artist, per se. I'm doing the little sky, the quote quotes. The quote quotes, the flying But he is a Christian who happens to be a musician, right? Yes. So I was talking to Dave Hazen. I love Dave Hazen. What's up? This is a shout out to Dave. And uh, Dave was uh, quoting me, it was either um, um, uh, Walker Percy or Flannery O'Connor. And At that point, it doesn't even matter which one it is. The, they're both awesome. <laughs> they're both awesome. And, and um, cynical. And cynical. And the quote essentially is this, um, is, is that um, uh, a Christian art can't be just a rearrangement of pre-established pieces that then come together in some sort of emotional new puzzle. It's not like you were playing with Lego blocks and you're just going to build a new piece of art. There, there's The word original means from the origin. Hmm. And so those who are in touch with the origin should um, really authentically be able to produce original artwork, not hmm. just reconfigured, reestablished, regurgitated pieces hmm. of other things. Hmm. Now, I mean, I know— But at I, the same time, there are classic themes that— Good art should have. Yeah, but a theme is, uh, dude. I can talk about sight. I can. I mean, uh, you, <laughs> <laughs> what? I was just thinking about the beginning of uh, and end of Lost. Okay. And it's it begins with Jack Shepard uh, zoom in on his eye. Yeah. And okay, so I'm talking about they're talking about some sort of sight, some sort of vision mm. of the world. Mm-hmm. And mm. and mm. I can have a theme of relationship, of sight, of blindness. Mm. I can have all of these things, and I can touch these realities, hmm. and uh, the oh, wake, oh sleeper. I can yeah. do all of these things. I can, right, I can have right. them, but not just reorganize pieces that are um, culturally established. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I have to actually struggle and really deal with these things, and not just have Legos. Yeah. Um, Although I do love Legos. I do love Legos. And this is the thing. And what, what's hard too is that you can also include scripture. You can do. You can actually. Um, so, so like the song that you heard, I mean, that's just scripture. You got Malachi, and it's uh, and it's and it's organized, and it's there's something really beautiful, and it's it's got this kind of revival sound, but yeah. it, but it, I love it, it. It feels like it's from the heart of them. 
Yeah, it is just well done. Yeah, I don't know. So for mm. you, who, for you who make art, don't just rearrange pieces. Go to the depths. Don't even worry. And man. don't strive for making quote unquote Christian art or Catholic art. Just be a Christian who makes art. Trust in the formation that you have. Yeah, that's how we do the lanky guys every week. <laughs> <laughs> welcome <laughs> welcome to trusting in the formation friends oh baby do you guys know that we we really um have this kind of risky experience every time we go in because neither of us know <laughs> really what the other is going to bring oh no <laughs> okay yeah you're right on that yeah, like like I, i'm not really sure what's going to happen and so you guys are hearing a live and magical experience that's pre-recorded <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say, i was gonna say that all right you got any shout outs yeah. Besides, uh, besides Dave Hazen. Um, a shout out to Father Brady, whose birthday's this week. Father Brady. Shout out to my mama, whose birthday's tomorrow. Shout out to all the other people who got the birthdays. I got to give a shout out to Deacon Marty, who we've given a shout out to before. But I, yeah, I really think Father Peter that we have. I think we got the best deacon in the diocese. He's just a heck of a good man. We were having a conversation this morning, and he just blew my mind. Yeah, dude, he he's he is made of the right stuff. Like he's just a I, good man. I've never met actually somebody with a deeper formed diaconal identity. Hmm. I mean, I met I met really great de- deacons. There's a tremendous yeah. deacon. Oh yeah, yeah. But that man is like at his heart, like he he is configured to Christ the servant in a way that's like that yep. is just the best, man. So Deacon Marty, we love you, and we hope you how this helps you with your homily. Absolutely. Because uh, I'm not preaching. Father Deacon is. Father Deacon. <laughs> Father Deacon. And he talked to me about his homily and it blew my mind. Oh. Um, Nancy Spaulding as well, I want to give a shout out to, who I, well, not a shout out, but a correction. I was not dissing your suggestion that maybe it was just a sycamore tree. I was laughing because it's such a funny thing that we just overlook the obvious that, look, maybe there's just an actual detail in the story, which does actually speak to the historicity of the Gospels that. Look, you would only know that it was a sycamore tree if there actually was a person witnessing this, witnessing this event to tell us it was a sycamore tree. So I wasn't dissing that. I was just laughing that sometimes we get very highfalutin theological <laughs> and we miss just the fact that there is just reality. Yeah. So Nancy, I was not dissing you. I want to reiterate that, Nancy. Nancy, mm. Nancy, 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 not dissing you. Dude, that's, that's... Love you, Nancy. Do you know how many Nancys you just gave? Seven. Dude, that's... Oh, nice. No, I don't know how many... <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the thing: is that speaks of the four senses of scripture, the four senses of scripture. Yeah, the yeah, fr- very well, first yeah, one yes. is, is literal. We have mm-hmm. the literal sense of scripture. It is what it is. It's actually speaking of things that are real. Absolutely. Yeah. Then, then you got the other ones, and there's more. But it's not. It's we're not an either or. We're a, we're a both and. So that's really cool. I we have to give a shout out to Garrett Adrian. So Garrett. remember Garrett a long time ago, months ago on the podcast. He sent us an email talking about going to Kilimanjaro. Yeah, yeah. And I said, you got to send us pictures when you're on top of Kilimanjaro. And guess what Garrett Adrian did? Sent you pictures? Sent us pictures of being on top of Kilimanjaro. So he gave us a shout out from Mount Kilimanjaro, which is awesome. Maybe I'll put it on the Facebook site. I don't know if they'll be okay with that or not. But he also would like to give a shout out to Brett and Jenny Hanlon, um, who are great. I don't know them, but they're going to be living in Colorado at the end of the month. Oh, they're leaving Colorado at the end of the month. And they're moving to San Fran, which... um, I know a lot of people who have moved from Boulder to San Fran. So, dude, there it's for the, like there's a crew. I, this is the thing is that the I share a lot over there. I share a lot of weddings with them. With those two? Yeah, because how many weddings have they? Had? Well, they're wedding photographers. Oh, 
Oh, cool. And, and so if you guys nice. are out in the San Fran area, you, at San Fran area, <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> you can um, get your weddings pictured. Wedding picture them. And I also, I wasn't going to give this, but I just want to give a shout out to, to, uh, to Brooke Horner out in South Dakota. Uh, her and her husband, Nolan, are doing actually amazing ministry out there. And Brooke is this like five foot two little girl who's just starting a huge prison ministry. She's a student. She's a sorority girl, a student at the University of South Dakota. And she is beginning prison ministry very soon. And it's really beautiful because she's just a stud and she is hardcore. That's yeah. that's great. Well, I hope that the lanky guys trickle into the prison system. <laughs> One way or the other. One way or the other. We're gonna. We're, we're, we're we'll get in there. Yeah, we're getting big in the prison system. Yeah, dude. we're huge. <laughs> we're huge there, dude. That's like. All right. That's like. I always. I've been telling people recently about the lanky guys. I'm like, dude, we are huge and huge in Malaysia. We are. We are massive. We're just massive. We have like, like those two listeners. Yeah. So word to the Malaysians. All right. All right. We should jump in. We are. Jump we are that. wrapping up the liturgical year. Dude. We're at the tail end. Yeah, I know, man. We got like we almost the end of the year. This is our wait. Is this the last Sunday of ordinary of, the, of time. ordinary time? And then we have the one Sunday of like no. I mean, it's kind of ordinary time. Christ the King. Yeah, we wear the same color, so it's kind of ordinary time, but it's specialer than. It's like the it's like New Year's Eve. Yes. Okay. Liturgical New Year's Eve coming up next week. So for this one, the thirty third, uh, we're looking at the Book of Malachi, chapter three, verse nineteen through twenty a. 20A. I like that they cut it off because 20B, they did not want the rest of that. No, verse, man. Did you read it? No. Okay. Did you? Uh, Psalm 98, <laughs> verse, <laughs> Psalm 98, verse 5 through 6, 7 through 8, and 9. And then mine says C9, which is just really wonderful. I don't know. C9? Yeah, it says like it has bra- it has parentheses and then at the S-E-E end. S E E or yeah, letter C? Like C9. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, I guess you have to see nine. It's the Holy See, nine. It's the Holy See of nine. Second, Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7 through 12. Straightforward. And our gospel, which is only one version of it this week, which is nice. I know, it's, it's you a you got to read the long form. Long form for you. Luke 21, verses 5 through 19. All of these readings are conveniently about the end of the world. Is that too loud? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll turn it down in the editing. Yeah, dude, you better you better mute yourself on that. You better one, mute dude. yourself before you <laughs> before you zoot yourself. <laughs> Good job, dude. Zoot suit riot, baby. All right. Um, what the heck? There is no Malachi chapter three verse twenty. <laughs> what? Hold on. Let me look at my. There is no Malachi chapter three verse twenty. I was trying to read part B of it. Hold on. It does not exist. Malachi. Oh, I know the problem. Oh, there is no Malachi verse 20. I just said that. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Dude, we no, we'll get into why that is in a second. Oh, no, it's time to get started. We <laughs> okay, it's time for we, the podcast. Yeah, dude, we haven't even started. Yeah, I no, feel, I feel like we introduced it. We did. Okay. No, okay, so there there is a reason for that. Um, the numbering okay, let, of the let's, verses. Let's talk. Let's talk. Start it. I am, dude. You're just cutting me off. The numbering of the verses. You can yeah. cut me off now? So, so what you're saying is that in Malachi, uh, okay, 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 there's okay. verse twenty of Malachi. no, it, it's there. It's in the. It's over in the New American Bible. <laughs> if you're looking for it, it's in the NAB. So this is weird. The NAB, which is what we read in the Mass, see the official liturgical 
um, translation, right? Okay. Uh, follows the Hebrew. The translation of the NAB follows the original Hebrew text. Oh. Um, apparently, the RSV follows the Vulgate, which yes, was the does. old Latin version. And so the number, the verse numbering is actually slightly different. So for us, it's Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 in, oh. the, in, the, in the RSV. Yeah. So the NAB is three nineteen through twenty, and the the RSV is four chapters one, uh, chapter four verses one through two. So that's very confusing. But that's that's what. So don't be confused any longer, because now you know the truth. Hmm. All right. Good. Um. I want to start just by giving us kind of a context, an, an historical context into which to read Malachi. Dude, I like I always like Malachi because it sounds like the the rock Malachite. Just saying. Oh, the rock. Yeah. I was. For some reason, I was thinking of like a particular type of rock music. Yeah, like Malachi. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, so Malachi. Um, <laughs> uh, Malachi is around the same time as, as the books of Zechariah, Haggai, Ezra, and Nehemiah. And here's here's what's going on basically. Okay. So if you remember the whole story of Israel, so there were twelve I remember tribes. Remember the whole story. You do. That's the whole good, story. Father. Is for me. For you. So there are 12 tribes. They had a big civil war. They split in two. There were 10 tribes up north, two tribes down south. 10 and two. The 10 tribes got obliterated by the nation of Assyria in about Boom. 586. Later, that's inappropriate. <laughs> but later on, the uh, southern tribes were attacked by Babylon in oh, 586. Help. I'm <laughs> trying to do sound effects for you. <laughs> they were, uh, oh boy. They were hauled off. We're never going to get picked up by relevant radio. <laughs> <laughs> they got hauled off to Babylon, right, in captivity. So those who those who survived were taken to Babylon. Eventually, Babylon was taken over by the, the Persians, right? Okay. The Persians, there was the, the king uh, of Persia. Um, in, he allowed all the Jewish people to go home, basically. Once he took over Babylon, he allowed the slaves that Babylon had captured to go home. So that he lets the Jewish people go back to Israel, and he, he actually, King Artaxerxes later on, who's the king of Persia, actually encourages them to rebuild the temple. Uh, Ezekiel, the end of Ezekiel actually talks about this. So they cool. go back, they're rebuilding the temple. Um, uh, Nehemiah, Ezra... Um, both go back. Um, they begin building the temple. They begin building the city again. And then around the year um, 433, something happens. Nehemiah, who was kind of the head of things back in Jerusalem, after people went back and finally started rebuilding things, Nehemiah was kind of the the, the governor, so to speak. Something happens. He returns back to the, the service of the Persian king, and he left Jerusalem for a little while. He went back up to Persia for a little while. And as the, as the saying goes, as the, mouse, as the cat is away, the mice will play, right? Yeah. So Nehemiah goes back up, and it, it, it appears that the Jewish people basically fall back into their old sin. And by the time Nehemiah comes back, he discovers that they're not tithing anymore. They're breaking the Sabbath. They're intermarrying and divorcing. Their priests have become corrupt, and the temple system is actually falling back into the same decay that sort of caused its destruction in the first place back with the Babylonians. So things are really bad. And it's into that situation that Malachi speaks this message. So he's the prophet that's writing to deal with that. You've become totally corrupt again. Did you not remember what happened the first time? All these things. And Malachi is interesting because he's actually the last written prophet before there's total silence until Jesus Christ shows up. So he's the last word from the prophets. He's the last word formally from God to the people of Israel before he becomes incarnate in Jesus. Oh, I see. I'm seeing connections already of what we're dealing with. 
Yeah, so he is the last. I mean, again, we mentioned all of these readings have something to do with the end times. Yeah. So is it any coincidence that in the readings that all have to do with the end times, this is the, the end of the last prophet book in the end of the Old Testament? That's awesome. And then he's coming like a burning oven. <laughs> well, there, there's all these old, there's all these old school. Why that's so funny, <laughs> like, dude. The image of, of the Lord coming as an oven. <laughs> all I see is an Easy Bake oven in my head. I know that's not what <laughs> Malachi is trying to evoke, but that's what I, I was just having a conversation with a couple, and they were trying to decide about double ovens, and they were like, "No, we're just going to get one oven. It's okay. <laughs> we do not need double ovens." But yeah. um, but I, I was just uh, reading. Oh, by the way, can I say one last thing before you do that? The word Malachi. Just really quick. Yes. This last part yeah, of background. Yeah, yeah, last part of background. Give me, give me, give me the background. Um, the Talk word Malachi, Malachi literally means messenger. Oh. So his name embodies what he's doing. Nobody knew actually for sure if that's a title or if that's actually his name. Oh. It's a little bit unclear. But so he is what he's doing in a certain So sense. it's kind of like onomatopoeia? <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember what onomatopoeia is? Sneeze. Exactly. Cough. It, a word that sounds like what the action is. Yep. Yeah, I had to sing it in a high school musical when I was Linus in a play. He sang onomatopoeia. Yeah, he he was he had some sort of weird explanation and <laughs> yeah. But dude, okay. <clears throat> what I love is I've been reading um uh, about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I yeah. I read the story in the Office of Readings. Okay, and um, Shad- from Daniel. Uh, hi, Daniel. Nice to meet from, you. From Daniel. Oh, I thought you said I'm <laughs> Daniel, and I was like, dude, no. I'm Scott. That's good to meet you. Hi, hi, <laughs> and. and uh, and so the the notion of the burning oven. Oh, good point. Yeah, okay. And I so, see where you're going. So what's interesting is that um, though we have um, you know twenty a, the, the the if you read one verse past, <laughs> then you says you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lords of Hosts. So the day when I what? On the day when I act. It's not what you said. What did I say? Nothing. Keep going. What did I say? Keep going. Don't lose your don't lose your focus. I don't want to lose my focus. Okay. Um, so in some ways, by cutting out that last verse, we lose the brackets on that particular sense. Okay. Is that the Lord is, is he's coming to judge the world by fire, which is old school, um, Catholic prayers. I mean, like I have this holy water blessing and it says the Lord is coming to judge the world by fire. Hmm. And I always liked that one because he, he, this is the thing is that those, those who are righteous in him will, they are going to stand and they will come out of their stalls dancing and they will rise and, and then he will, um, we will be okay. I'm just reading a commentary right this second that is talking about that verse that talks about like calves, calves released from the stall. The commentary literally says, frisky young calves often frolic about when released from confinement. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what heaven's going to be, man. This is this world is confined. A bunch of frisky young calves. They're going to frolic about. Calves. That frisky is what young calves calves to be. Frolicking about, dude. <laughs> No, okay. So the, the yeah, the day the the day of the Lord. This is a huge theme throughout the prophets, right? And the day of the Lord always has to do with the day of judgment, <laughs> which is is funny. I, I want to hold off because in the rest of the readings, one of the themes that I think comes out of this th- this is speaking about the end. It's speaking about the end of a lot of things. I think it's looking forward. Do you see that huge fat squirrel? <laughs> that dude is huge. That's the fattest squirrel I've ever seen. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, he is pointing at. I mean, no, he's not kidding. That was like, dude, that's like tubbo large. I just saw Father Peter kind of jump in his chair and see something. I was like, there. what's going on with the squirrel, dude? That dude, that dude is ready for winter. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we had a picture of it. Yeah. We can put it on the website. Yeah. 
but we don't. Um, the, the day, I mean, this is looking forward to a lot of things, though. It's looking for, so, I mean, if you remember the context, what are they doing? Well, they're starting to abuse the temple again and ignore the tithes and probably abusing the poor and doing all the things that Jeremiah, I remember, condemn, condemned them initially for doing. Yeah. And um, so the, what is this saying? Well, the day is coming, then there's going to be judgment. I mean, it, it's pointing ahead to a day when the temple is going to be destroyed yet again, which it is. But what we're going to see in the gospel reading, that day of judgment that eventually mm-hmm. is going to come, yeah. is going to be twofold. There's there's the day of judgment on the temple and all the people that have put their faith in the wrong thing and in the wrong place, and they're going to pay. They're actually going to have to be recompensed. But the judgment and the day of, of, uh, of the end, so to speak, is always going to be to make way for the beginning of something new. So while this appears like just utter bad news at the very end of the last prophetic book, yeah. it is pointing ahead to something is going to end to make way for something new. I mean, this is pointing ahead to the end of the temple. This is at the end of the Old Testament. So it's the end of the Old Covenant. It's the end of the Old Testament. All of those things, though, are there to make way for the beginning of something new, mm. which is sort of where we are in the liturgical year, right? Why are all these readings pointing toward the end? Because the liturgical year is ending in a week. But it's not just ending, it's ending to make way for something else, to make way for a while, well, to Advent, for the beginning of the new liturgical year. And that's actually at the heart of our faith in a a lot of ways, right? I mean, we believe our bodies are going to pass away someday. Why? To make way for the resurrected bodies. Jesus was crucified and died to make way for his resurrected body. The the earth is going to pass away someday. What? To make way for the new heavens and the new earth. The end of one thing always signals the beginning of something else in the plans of God. So we'll, we'll leave it at that, maybe, unless you have more on uh, Malachi. No, I don't. <laughs> Neat. Well, that takes us to Psalm 98. And, and I mean, the connections here, I think, are pretty clear. The Lord comes to rule the earth with justice. So, in other words, he is coming. His justice is coming. His judgment is coming. You know, people, it's, it's hard. People read the Old Testament. We've probably talked about this. I mean, people read the Bible as though God is schizophrenic, right? You have this God of the New Testament, which is the one we're all much more comfortable talking about, where he says to love your enemies and bless are the poor in spirit and forgive one another and turn the other cheek and hold hands and dance around and sing with rainbows and daisies, right? <laughs> and give each other butterflies. And okay, that's God. But then the Old Testament, which, which like, by the way, if you actually ever read a gospel, it's totally not that. <laughs> no, <laughs> if you actually read the gospel, I mean, read today's gospel for Pete's sake. Dude, the dude is bringing it hard. Yes. But then we read that and we think back to the Old Testament and we're like, well, wait a second, but he's all mean and wrathful and judgment and punishment in the Old Testament. Yeah. And we have no idea how to reconcile those two things. Yeah. I think I think a lot of the problem comes from Luther. And he had, a, I think he had a disjointed reading of the scriptures. And, he, and, and we all suffer because of that in a certain sense. Because there was a dichotomy, a false dichotomy between Old and New Testaments. Um, but the reality is, I mean, this is this is what the psalm is sort of pointing to. The Lord comes to rule the earth with justice. In other words, the Lord is coming on Judgment Day. How is the Lord eventually, I mean, how is that psalm fulfilled? Well, he's going to show up as a little baby in a stable in, Naz- in Bethlehem. That's how the Lord is actually going to come with his mighty arm. If you read the psalm in its completion, it talks about the Lord with his strong arm is going to come and defeat his enemies. Well, he does, but he comes in the form of a little baby in the hay. He welcomes sinners and tax collectors, but then he defeats with his deeds um, the control of Satan over the world. With a strong arm, I mean, it points directly towards the crucifixion. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) But he's not defeating the enemies we expected him to defeat. No, no. That's the key. He goes, if he was a designer, he'd be asking the five whys. <laughs> yes, he would. You just keep asking why, why, like why, a kid. Why, 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 why. And then he goes kids to the Kids really root. do that. I always thought sort of that was not real. You know, kids don't really, but they do. But, but and they keep asking. 
Why? Well, and that's where it's radix. It's he's going to the root. He's he's radically healing yeah. the the sins of the world because yeah. he's and and the, his his strong arm. I saw a, pa- a, a painting the other day of of Jesus like if he was like a, a like a world record breaking muscle um, weightlifter. Oh, yeah, and you text <laughs> it. You text it. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 and, and he's like out his of his arms are on the cross, but he's so strong he They're just broke. It. He broke the the arms of the cross just by flexing. <laughs> It's ridiculous. It's totally ridiculous. <laughs> but that's not exactly what they mean by the strong arm. Not exactly. Of the Lord. Yeah. Um and and I just I just think that it's also beautiful because it's liturgical. The psalm is like it's a, it's actually talking about a liturgical procession um and with reference to the ark of the covenant and David and with um with uh with creation rejoicing and being properly ordered because it's praising God. Yeah. And then um and and the and the equity that he rules us with, which is cool. Yeah, it's super cool. Were you listening to me? Yeah. Okay, good. Now let's talk about Thessalonians. <laughs> what? I'm trying to do a lot of things at once. Hey, man, you're doing a lot. I am multitasking today. You are tasking. No, I did listen. Actually, today. it was beautiful. You you rounded out that psalm. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Every time I compliment you, you think it's a joke. <laughs> I love you so I'm not much. Not a joke. Dude. You are I'm not real. a joke. You love me, and I love you. I do. We're a happy family <laughs> with a knickknack paddywhack. And you're listening to the Lanky Guys today. <laughs> today, this episode, and we're back. This episode is brought to you by Second Thessalonians. Thessalonians. All right, Second Thessalonians chapter three verse seven. Uh, what does he say? He says, "Brothers and sisters, you know how." Uh, let, let's read this really quick first because I think it puts it okay. in context. Um, second, the second reading just for us the last few weeks has always been the wild card, but this one fits. Yeah, this actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know how you must, how one must imitate us, for we did not act in a disorderly way among you, nor did we eat food received free from anyone. On the contrary, in toil and drudgery, night and day, we worked so as not to burden any any of you. Nope. Um, not that we have the right. Blah blah blah. He, well, not blah blah blah, but et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> you never want to say blah 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 with the Bible. No, no, that doesn't that doesn't fly. Et cetera. Um, so Thessalonians, we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks, and while it's true. That Thessalonians sort of allows Paul to speak um, uh, from his own. He's not putting out fires, let's say, right? He's, he's, he's forming. Able, yeah, except in a couple points. And there are some corrections that he has to make as a pastor. And this is one of them. This is kind of an embarrassing situation that the Thessalonian church has fallen into. One of the themes that shows up in Thessalonians is the idea of the second coming. And we get a lot of information and, and thoughts and insights on the second coming of Christ. Which is what our readings so far has, have been pointing us to, right? The coming of the Lord. The problem is that it appears that in the Thessalonian church, they're so eagerly expecting that Christ is coming at any moment that they've kind of stopped doing work and they're not going to their jobs anymore and they're just kind of sitting around and mm. they're just, they've become idle and sort of, I don't, I don't know if lazy is the right word or not. Mm. Um, but it's interesting. And Although the contexts are totally different, yeah. when I was reading through this, I'm reminded of the of the, the the situation in Malachi, where they've become again. Well, you know, they've rebuilt the temple. I mean, I mean, think of it. They're back. Picture the first reading. You know, they're back in Jerusalem. They've rebuilt the temple, but you know, it's a pale shadow of what the old one used to be. They still don't really have their houses yet. You know, everything is just kind of. It's hard to rebuild. I mean, even we had some damage after the floods to each of our buildings, and it's just hard to kind of get yourself back off the ground again, get things going. Yeah, it was. It was. It was like the other day. Uh, I I went to a concert, and uh, up here in Boulder, it was uh, Brett Denon, and like it was at the Fox. So it's like the dude is big, and mm. he could he can sell places six times the size, and uh, 
And everybody who was there, they were like cheering when the song ended, but they were just kind of tired. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Like, like I, I hadn't been in a concert where like mm. everybody was tired. They were super way into it. Yeah. But they were just tired, so they couldn't really dance. And, yeah, like, they couldn't totally. give the feedback and live the, the way that they wanted that's to. That's it. That's it. And that's how I picture the situation in Malachi. I mean, they're just, you know, we rebuild this temple, but you know what? Is it for any? Is it any good anyway? I mean, the Lord left the temple. He's not. He hasn't come back yet. Why are we building this thing? Yeah. How are we to escape? You know, from the, the things we fell into in the first place. What's the point? We don't even have houses. Why should we worry about building this temple that caused us? you know, to be destroyed anyway, when God's not even in there, when we don't even have our own house the way we want it to, you know, it's just, it's just hard. And yeah. they just got lazy and then they became corrupt and everything else happened. Um, I can, I can kind of get that, but the situation then in Thessaloniki is a little bit different. I mean, they're, they're doing the same things, but it's just, well, the Lord's coming soon. So just, you know, forget it. What's the point? And I, I think Christians can fall into that still today. I mean, you know, th- without the Catholic understanding of, the world and what the world actually is and the idea of the new heavens and the new earth and that there will be a new creation and that matter matters. Stuff matter. Our bodies matter. The physical world matters. matters. It matters how we treat the world. We become like, you know, some fundamentalists and evangelicals who are basically just like, well, this, this whole place is just a sinking Titanic. So why arrange the deck chairs? Right. We're just, God's going to destroy this place anyway. So who cares? Let's just kind of circle the wagons and wait it out till Jesus comes again. And, you know, forget it. Forget you guys. Forget the world. What does it matter? Environmentalism, caring for the, you know, rebuilding poly. Who cares? Because Christ is coming and he's going to obliterate this place. And that's kind of what they're falling into in Thessaloniki. So why does any of it matter? Work, politics, the world. Who cares? Why order this at all? Why order this at all? Because Christ is coming again. And Paul says, no, that's that's ridiculous. We have to actually persevere. I mean, that's going to be the other underlying theme of each and every one of these readings is that there's perseverance. Because one thing we know, and we'll get to this in the gospel, again, Christ is not... Something is not ending for the sake of its end. It's ending to make way for something even greater than the old. Yes. And maybe... The death, the passion and death lead to the resurrection. Right. It's a pattern fundamentally written in now. Right, exactly. And that's, um, maybe that should take us into the gospel. Yeah. So then we're in the gospel now. (laughs) (laughs) Stand and raise your head because your redemption is at hand. What? Where are you reading? That's the Hallelujah verse gospel. Oh, the Hallelujah. Well, that's not in. It's not on this. Thing. It, it's a transition. It's the, it's our bridge. It's the stair step. Stand and raise this. your head because your redemption is at hand, there, Scott. Stand and raise your head. Um. Okay. So, uh, Luke twenty one. Luke twenty one is the. Every one of the synoptic gospels has this section in the gospel. So this is the section where. Basically, to put it in a nutshell, Jesus has just completed his judgment against the temple. Remember, he goes to the temple, he cleanses the temple, the money changers, the doves, pigeons are flying everywhere. I mean, things are chaotic. Mm -hmm. He pronounces judgment. He said, you've made it a den of thieves, a den of robbers. Mm -hmm. And then he proceeds, you know, it's that point where the disciples all point out the beautiful buildings. And he says, not one stone is going to be left on another in this place. It's all going to be obliterated. And then he goes on on this weird discourse, which he does in every one of the Gospels, about, well, the sun's going to turn dark and the stars are going to fall and the sky's going to turn to blood and there'll be earthquakes and famines and all sorts of upheaval. Yeah, but the, b- before we get there, though, like I just, <laughs> I just have to say that as I was reading this and like, because I, 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 I always have the in my the back of my mind, like you're uh, built of living stones, you're a temple yeah. built of living stones. And so I was like, I was just picturing like, 
what's the difference between a dead stone and a living stone? So I was just sitting there and I, and I just kept on trying to imagine like organic stones if they were alive. And then all of a sudden I got trapped in all of the thoughts about how like different artists have tried to portray like rock men. And like you have like the Fantastic Four guy and then you got the one from the never ending story, the rock eating dude. Did and you ever like, watch Arrested Development? I never did. No. Okay, never mind then. There's yeah. a reference to Yeah. And so, so I was just, I was just thinking about that and I was like I was like, we have all tried to understand what living stones are in relationship to dead stones. Because hmm. essentially that's actually the declaration that Christ is saying is that these stones, yeah, they look great, but they are not they're dead. They're not dead. They actually are uh, ultimately they are not properly imaging the heavenly reality and it, it foreshadowed because what the, what the promised the promised image uh, the promised image is of heaven hmm. and um and so i hmm. i just was i was just i don't know i was just i was just hanging out there and so so the stars are going to fall from the sky no that's good that was actually really that's a good insight i've never i've never thought about that yeah so take that yeah you'd say that a lot about what i say what take that or no, that you haven't thought about it. I haven't. That that's that's what makes you really nice to me. That's what makes this podcast alive. It's a. It's not a. It's not a dead podcast. It's a living podcast. It's a living podcast. It's like a living wage. <laughs> just barely. But just barely. Not by much. Not by everything. Much. Um. <laughs> much. 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 Sorry, I lost my reading. I was checking Facebook while you were saying that. Um, no, you no, weren't. No, I wasn't. Okay, but this- Or was I? <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. So, um, but here's the thing. So every gospel has this. Yep. What- <coughs> So it's- So <coughs> what's so is something synaptical plus one, like, what does it mean? Like, is what? Wh- what can you say? Like, isn't there a term for that? What'd you just say? Synaptical plus one? Synoptics? Like, what, would you call synoptics in a whole as synaptical? Or is that brain function? I can't really remember these things. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I can honestly say I have no idea what you're talking okay, about. Okay, just keep going. Okay. Then. Um, but here's the thing. So <laughs> this is false. Well, not, it's half tr- Okay, this is difficult to deal with. This is one of the most difficult passages in the Bible. Truth. Truth. Uh, every gospel has it. Yeah. I, some people don't think John has this section, yeah. but he does. It's just much longer, and he expands it to a whole book called Revelation. So yeah. all the gospels actually have this, what seems like the end of the world discourse, right? Yeah. But we have to keep it in context because Jesus in and Luke twenty one will give this long speech on you know the sun turning dark, falling from the skies. They are you know. I was going to say leaves are falling, stars are falling from the, the heavens, all this stuff. Mighty signs and And we think, okay, oh, plagues. he's talking about the end of the world. But look at the context. They're all talking about the temple and how it was adorned with costly stones and stuff. And he said, there's not going to be one stone left upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, when will this happen and what will be the signs? That these things are about to happen. And he says... Don't be deceived. Well, yeah, he says, don't be deceived. But And he says, many will come in my name, et cetera, et cetera. But he goes on to talk about all these things and kingdom rising against kingdom and earthquakes and famines. And eventually, if you do keep reading the stars falling from the sky and all these terrible apocalyptic things. Well, yeah, then he says, but, nation will rise against nation, kingdom yeah. against kingdom. There will be powerful earthquakes, famines, plagues from place to place, awesome sights and mighty signs in the sky. But what is he talking about? What's their topic of conversation? Is it the end of the world? No, it's the temple. It's the temple. And that's where people get just, they lose sight of what, oh, they're like, oh, it's end of the world stuff. No, they just said, he just said the temple's going to be destroyed. And they said, what will be the signs? And he said, all of this stuff. 
What does that mean? Well, what it means is we have to take Jesus at his word that when the temple is going to be destroyed and all these actually come true. There are there is a famine. Uh-huh. There is nation rising against nation. Rome against there, there are plagues. There is kingdom against them. There were earthquakes actually. There were mighty signs in the sky. There were mighty signs in the sky. But here's the catch. Um, there's something called apocalyptic language that's used throughout the Bible. And that's the language, you know, the stars fall from the sky, the moon turned to blood, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And that language actually shows up in the Old Testament, but it has a very specific context. Whenever okay. you see the language of stars falling and, you know, heavenly cosmic things, it always is in the context of, well, in the Old Testament, it's always in the context of a pagan, ungodly nation being destroyed. So, um, Babylon is described in this way. Pharaoh is described in this way. Egypt is described in this way that when Egypt comes to an end, it's going to be like the stars are falling from the sky and the moon is turning black. When Babylon is destroyed, it's going to be like earthquakes and upheaval in the heavens and all this stuff. So if you're a Hebrew person who knows the Old Testament and Jesus just announced the destruction of the temple and presumably with it Jerusalem, because Jerusalem for them was not a city with a temple in it. It was a temple that happened to have a city around it. I mean, that's how big of a deal the temple was. Yeah. So if he's using this language about the stars falling from the sky and the moon and earthquakes and famines, your context for that is, wait a second, that's what people, that's what prophets say when they're talking about the destruction of ungodly pagan nations. And Jesus has just applied it to whom? the temple Mm. and you're like "Uh uh-oh but he also just said you have made this place corrupt you've made this place a den of robbers and thieves and for that reason not one stone is going to be left upon another so this place is going down and essentially what he's saying is the world as you know it is going to be flipped on its head dude you see you talking about that just like made me nervous inside yeah, like I, I, I like like literally, I just had this like thing, like oh my gosh, like I don't know the intensity of the judgment, like uh, upon this place, which is at the core of everything. We, I mean, yes. we we cannot grasp the meaning of the temple. No, I, I heard an analogy once. I think Ted Shreed gave it. Um, you know, it'd be like hearing the temple's destruction would be like waking up one morning. You know, we turn on the TV and we found out that. The Vatican had just been bombed. Wall Street was destroyed and Washington, D.C. was attacked. Like all of those things are now gone. Vatican's gone. Wall Street's gone. And Washington, D.C. is gone. The center of all of our commerce, our politics and our spiritual life has been obliterated. That's what the temple was to them. So, I mean, if you can imagine just how utterly insane that was. But what Jesus is saying is, you know, I mean, again, it's the same thing that's kind of happening in Malachi. This corruption has seeped in. And if, I mean, here, here's the reality. If the, temp, the temple, and Matthew actually, I think, gives a more full-bodied version of this account. And he says, you know, basically, the te- this temple was supposed to be a house of prayer for all, all of the peoples. nations. Yeah. But you've made it a den of robbers. And if you go back, I think Josephus writes about this. I'm not sure. Somebody does. But there were actually signs in the temple if you were passing from one court to another. So from the court of the Gentiles on the outer sides, if you were to go into the court of the Jewish people, there was a big sign over the door that said anyone who is... Um, any Gentile who enters these gates, you alone are responsible for the certain death that will follow. Which, you're like, that's not really being a house of prayer for all the nations. Yeah, that doesn't really that fulfill doesn't really that it. quality. Right. So it's become this nationalistic circle the wagon symbol of how great we are, mm. not the house of prayer, the Zion that everyone, all the nations are to flock to. Yeah. So that means, in Jesus' words, the temple has become obsolete. But it's not as if, okay, well, that, you know, people can read this and be like, well, see, it's just like our churches and, and mass is obsolete, you know, and the, and the hierarchical system of the church, it's all, you know, that's what Jesus is getting at. No, that's not what Jesus is getting at. He's saying this temple is obsolete, so it must be destroyed. But why is it going to be destroyed? 
What's the underlying theme of all these readings? It did not fill its purpose. Yeah, so if it didn't fulfill its purpose, it needs to be destroyed. Why? To make room for... A new temple. A new temple. Something new. So all of these things, while pointing to the end of something, are also pointing to the beginning of something else. Now, these readings... But, oh. but even, even even Revelation, it says, points to, to a new heavens and a new earth. Well, why? Because... I'm doing a dance. <laughs> you are. I mean, if you're talking about this, the reason why is because uh, the, these apocalyptic things are actually talking about a real subject in the temple itself, which is the temple curtain, the veil. That's a part of it. But That's I would I would it. argue it's more. Because remember, what do you Maybe if you're playing the drinking game. No, no, I'm not arguing with that. I'm expanding it. What was the temple for the Hebrew people? What did it represent? The presence of God with them. Well, yes, that, I mean, that, fun, well, that's the art. That's what, well, okay, no, you're right. That's what the temple was. It was the place that housed the presence of God. Mm-hmm. But what was the temple a symbol of? So this place oh, that housed uh, God was a symbol of? The idealized cosmos. Yeah, the cosmos. So the idea was in the beginning you had the Garden of Eden, which was the meeting place between God and mankind. It's where God talked to men, where, where we could be with him. We lost that through sin. So we were kicked out of it. So later on, they built a temple to be sort of a microcosm of creation, to be like that place where we met with God. So if you went in the temple, I mean, there were there were pools of water that represented the oceans. There were there were jungles on the walls. You know, it was it was made of Dennis McNamara gave a great talk about church architecture that had to do with, you know, vines and growth and things that was all over the temple. There was the veil, which had the heavens on it, the cosmos. So every part of the temple was made to represent some part of the cosmos. Because it was a microcosm, it represented the cosmos. So that meant for the Jewish people that whatever happened to the temple was a sign of what would happen to the rest of the cosmos someday. Mm. So in other words, if the temple is going to be obliterated, it's a sign of what's going to, it's, it's, it's um, reminiscent. It shows us some sign of what's going to happen to the rest of the world as well. But that's the catch. The temple was destroyed to make way for a new and greater temple, just as this earth is going to be destroyed someday. We actually believe that. But it's only going to be destroyed to make way for the new heavens and the new earth. Just like, I mean, the analogy is Jesus. Jesus died on the cross, but he died on the cross so that he could rise again, glorified and transfigured and transformed in the resurrected body. So too will we. So too will this world. So too did the temple. But here's the other thing with that that I think is interesting. And maybe this is my last point unless you have something else. Nope. Um, all these things are about judgment and that judgment's coming. God's coming with a strong arm. There's a spiritual reality, but there's also just the temporal reality. If, if we're unfaithful, there is going to be punishment for that. And Jesus is very clear that this temple is going to be destroyed. It's coming down. But in between the time that Jesus said the temple's going down yep. and the time that it actually happened, yep. do you know how many years passed between there? 70. 40. 40. Well, it happened in 70 AD. But oh, remember, yeah, Jesus yeah. is in his 30s. So about 40 years. <laughs> Thanks. I, but what does that say about about the punishment and the wrath of God? It, uh, well, it's like what we were talking about with um, uh, uh, Zechariah. Not Zechariah. Um, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. Oh, Zacchaeus. Um, he, the Lord overlooks sin so that they may repent. Right. I mean, it's that's it's, it. It's it's last week. He he gives you time, man. That's He's it. Like, it, 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 and he's not gonna he's not gonna enforce this stuff so that you can figure it out. Exactly. I mean, the fact that he gave them forty years after pronouncing how corrupt and you know terrible they were, before actually following through on the punishment is pretty remarkable. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the ancient rabbis read read the story of Noah that way. Remember, it said Noah. Um, it, he gave Noah what was one hundred and fifty years or under seventy years to build the ark. 
Why? Because it took a really long time. Why did God ask Noah to spend all those years building the ark? Not so that he could have a really good ark, but so that he could have all of those years of building it to tell people what is coming so that there could be a chance for repentance so that this didn't have to happen at all. Yes. That was the whole point of spending all this time. So, I mean, all these readings are about the end and about Mm. punishment and real judgment because that's God. Any good, loving, just father has got to actually punish his kids sometimes. That's just reality. That's something I've learned as a parent. You can't let your kids go on destroying each other and beating each other indefinitely. You actually have to step in and do something about it. Yep. But how does God do it? Well, he's gentle and he's patient and he's slow moving. And that's the idea. And I guess that's how we're supposed to look at Advent. (laughs) (laughs) I have a little bit of a hard time figuring out exactly why. I understand it's the end of the liturgical year. And so we talk about the end, but I have struggled with that a little bit. Well, dude, it's it, well, it, it's it's trying to express a telos. Yeah. We we are all moving towards Christ the King. I mean, like th- th- that's. Oh, yeah. I mean, like ultimately, in the King's justice is a, is a, is is a justice that is kind and and yeah. and filled with and rich with mercy. But um, but that's where we're all going and what we're all doing. So we all wish you a very long life. We do, and so, a long Advent, and a long Advent, a, a long week in between. Yep, Advent. and and so um, you guys. We love you, and we pray that uh, that you're able to find freedom and get unbound for Christ the King for the feast day of awesomeness. When, Absolutely. When, um, when we celebrate our King, and He embodies our people, His people, hmm. and uh, we are His people, the flock He shepherds, and flocks when they're released from their gates, frolic with <laughs> glee or whatever, with <laughs> fanaticism or something. <laughs> fanaticism. <laughs> All right. Goodbye. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Find us on the web. LinkyGuys.org. Send us an email. LinkyGuys at ThomasCenter.org. Find us on Facebook. Pin us on Pinterest. Apogee us on Apogee. Um, create an Excel spreadsheet and send it to us if you want. <laughs> make us a PowerPoint. Yeah, make us a PowerPoint about your favorite. We, we haven't figured out what we're going to do yet for our uh, for our one year anniversary. No, but you're giving us ideas, so keep sending in your ideas. Yeah, yeah. We appreciate it. You are awesome. All right, we will be back next week with a brand new episode. Hopefully. Yeah. We haven't failed you yet. Not yet. <laughs> we'll find out if we do. And we hope the world doesn't end before our next episode. Absolutely. See you then. Bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.